So what? Do we start with a song? We we could if you want. You know one? You like one? Yeah. All right. Welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Lewis Kornfeld. My guest today, the man, the legend himself, Mr. George Basil. Oh, George, thanks you. for being here, man. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, it's shit. the best. I right. love this new space. It's so cool. Thanks. Isn't it great? It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. I, I'm still elated every yeah. time I get to do a class here. I, like I was saying to you before, the, it, it, just like seeing everybody here at the same yeah. time is such like an overwhelming feeling, man. The gathering of people. Totally. Uh, I was trying to think earlier today about when you and I first met. I don't remember exactly. Do you? Yeah. Um, level two, the first level two class that the Magnet offered. Yeah. Uh, Armando was still teaching everything. Yeah. And it was that class. It was like, I think I capped 21 or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And it was... That was it, right? Am I wrong? No, it must have been. Yeah. It must have been. I don't I don't have a recollection of meeting you. I just kind of I go back to the beginning of Magnet and you were there. <laughs> I don't remember a time when you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. This is uh I want to spend a little bit of time just kind of like reminiscing because I haven't seen you in a long time. I know I miss you. I miss you too, pal. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. But also it we're we're in the middle of celebrating the ten year anniversary of the theater right now and yeah. and uh good time to reminisce. It is a good time to look back, you okay. know. I, I was saying this when I was talking with Charlie a few, Wickroft a few weeks back, but it kind of feels like at the end of 10 years, particularly right now, I just know an awful lot of people who are kind of having like life moments happening to mm-hmm. them right now. And it kind of feels like it, it like a cycle has completed yeah. somewhere. And, you know, so like it does, it seems like a good time to reminisce. Yeah, I'd say so. It coincides with like this growth in the theater yeah while everyone's you know people are getting married or having babies or totally have stopped cutting themselves thank god for that <laughs> although i i know i know one guy still who i won't mention by name who's still cutting himself and i think it's the secret to his comedy <laughs> I, I i worry for him should he stop he's funny he's but so he's got funny, demons yeah. he's he's a troubled guy you know uh um uh, when you and I first met, how long were you in New York? Mm, it took me a little while to get started. I mean, I moved here to do improv. I yeah. knew that's the reason I was coming here from Austin, Texas, because I'd done a tiny, tiny bit there and fell in love with it. Um, and then it still took a little while because I moved here and 
didn't know what I was going to do for money. So mm. I, was, I was looking for work and ways to support myself before. You were uh, welding, right, when you were doing classes? I eventually ended up welding, yeah. Mm. My, a good friend, Richie Lodato, <clears throat> ran an ornamental fabrication shop down in Canarsie. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but he was nice enough to give me a job. He's a good friend now. I met him on Craigslist. I just mm. re- replied to an ad for a welder and walked into this guy's <laughs> metal shop. And I was like, I think I can do this. <laughs> he was like, really? Okay. Having had no experience before? None. Uh, in Austin, I took a community college course because I wanted to make like an iron dragon or some shit. Mm-hmm. And I never made that. I don't think <laughs> I finished the course, but it was fun. You know, it was a good studio to like get high and walk into and watch people playing with fire. Yeah. But then I did make some really cool interesting stuff in his shop. I mean, we there, he did a lot of landmark restoration stuff in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Um that was just so pretty, man. Just such great like handrails and all kind anything you could think of that's made out of metal, steel, which a lot of stuff in New York is. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd go and install that stuff. That's awesome. It was like the quality of life stuff that you don't really stop to think about, mm-hmm. but it just makes the city a much prettier Absolutely. place. And yeah, and now I can't not notice it. And yeah. So I'll be yeah. walking down the street with a friend, and like now I point at stuff, and I'm like, "That's what I used to do." Yeah. And they're like, "What?" <laughs> Fences, cool. <laughs> do you know like the official names for stuff? Is there like official name for stuff? No. Like wrought iron work or whatever. <clears throat> Not really. I think I think Richie was just a a really hardworking dude, and he he was so self taught that I don't think any of the jargon ever really permeated. He didn't care. He was yeah. just like, I want to learn how to do this. Yeah. Now I know how to do this. Yeah. Now I want to learn how to do this. So to give you an example, he made uh, a foundry essentially just like a homemade thing where you could cook down aluminum. Hmm. And so we would go to scrap yards and shit and we would find old, uh, what are those things called that come up? Like the heaters, uh, radiators. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of that was made out of aluminum. And so we'd go f- get that for cheap, cut it up, cook it. And then we could pour that in what's called uh, oil sand casting. Mm-hmm. So we'd make a, a a mold and like you're making little holes and shit and then you pour in this dangerously hot aluminum that's like popping and shit because it's not clean it's not a pure aluminum Mm. brick that you're you're boiling down you're boiling down radiator parts so any little pieces of you know debris or you know anything pops while you're cooking it and how I didn't kill myself. I mean, the first day on the job, we were doing a job in Gramercy. I have a scar here. Um, that I remember. I remember you coming to class with the stitches in your Oh, head. no shit. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... Damn, it has been since the beginning. That was a long time ago, man. Yeah, yeah. I cut my face open. Yeah. <laughs> I like, had to be rushed to St. Vincent, and the guy that I was with, was, that was working with me that day, hated me. Uh-huh. And he was just like, oh, come on, do it. Yeah, now I got to take it down to the hospital. <laughs> Fuck y'all. Um, and rightfully so. I, uh, 
it's interesting to me, like just walking into like a welding shop and, and being like, I, I, I think I can do this or being yeah. a self-taught welder. It's like, that's something that runs so opposite my nature. I, I'm a very like abstract book learned yeah. guy. You research. I do, I do a lot of research and I feel like unprepared for a lot of stuff and I like won't even volunteer. I'm reading a, a biography right now of John Parsons, who was one of the founding members of Jet Propulsion Laboratory okay. at Caltech. And, um, uh, he's like a legendary guy. I didn't know much about him, but he didn't, he didn't have a degree. He just taught himself rocketry from blowing shit up in his backyard. It was like his passion in life when he was a kid was just like blowing shit up. And along the way he like taught himself chemistry and became like, he basically created the space program in this country. And it's like, I mean, it's just like so fascinating to How me. How do you pat that like, guy on the back? <laughs> you don't. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. You know? It's like, okay, you just bow to people like that. Yeah. Uh, well, so, these guys who just kind of like don't wait for permission for shit and, and, and just kind of like learn by doing like your whole life is just like an accumulation of hard won experiences. Yeah. They don't wait for permission. They also don't wait for the opportunity. Yeah. You know, he, he, found that himself he like yeah. created that himself which is that's pretty inspiring i'm a lazy piece of shit you don't come across like that yeah but that's just because i'm got my hair tied back <laughs> if i take my hair down jesus you do look pretty professional right now. <laughs> i, I want to paint a picture to the audience here it's like your hair's tied back you look pretty professional <laughs> so you came to new york from austin texas knowing that you wanted to do improv why new york instead of chicago out of curiosity uh chicago just wasn't an option because i didn't know yeah. i didn't know anything about improv historically i yeah. didn't know that it had started um or really blossomed in chicago had i known that i'd may very well have chosen Chicago over yeah. New York. Uh, my sister was at the time going to college in Virginia. And so we were going to move together somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like, well, New York's kind of close. It's East Coast. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be too difficult. And then, yeah. And then New York. Chicago would have been cool. I've since visited Chicago many times and it's just the best Chicago is an awesome city oh, it's great yeah and you can catch some shows there that just like knock your ass yeah. out yeah the bar's pretty high ooh buddy yeah. yeah but I also I think a lot harder to break in I mean New York is starting to get up there too where mm-hmm. where you know the scene is has a crowd to it I think mm-hmm. when you and I were coming up Part of the thing that was so nice about the early days of being with Armando was like, I oh, can just do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. There's tons of space. Do we did a lot of like. improv and we drank when we weren't doing improv. And we did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I remember you and I interning, you and I were interning one night, like a Wednesday night or something. I just remember drinking Tall Boys, and I think we were playing Mario Kart or Goldeneye or something in the lobby. It was just like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lots time. of free time. <laughs> lots of free time. It's important. But, but also like a shit ton of time to play. Just play it all the time. Yeah. I mean, just being at that place every night. Yeah. You know? And I think that free time is important because that's when all the lessons and all the performances and all the time on stage or off stage starts to like like ferment you yeah. know and and then obviously like you're spending time with buddies and yeah making those relationships stronger which is great you're developing a lot of different skills kind of at the same time mm. 
I don't, I'm not a big believer. Well, that's not true. I, I, I right this second, I'm not a big believer. Sometimes I'm a big believer, but like linear paths or like linear progression and stuff. It, 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 like different skills or, or changes in, in like your capabilities seem to kind of happen sort of like globally inside a person. It, you learn as much by like studying as you do by hanging out with good friends as you do by cutting your head open, cutting your head open, mm-hmm. like all that shit goes together and, and, and develops your capabilities. It's no one of those like particular paths. Or, yeah. You know? Yeah. I'd agree with that. In the moment. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so you came to New York knowing that you wanted to improvise. Uh-huh. Did you have a career path in mind or it was just you were kind of like following no, your star? Man, my career path was always so mutated and weird. Uh, originally, like I knew I wanted to do comedy my whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing it in school. I was the only way that I was actually getting through school was by making not just students laugh, but fucking getting that teacher because yeah. as soon as i had that teacher i was gonna pass yeah no ifs ands or buts i didn't have to do my work i could skate through you know make a joke fart do something and then be good to go so i knew that there was a skill set that had developed from that but my career path was always like i've got to kill david letterman mm-hmm. i've got to sneak into his office i've got to kill him and then once i have his head in my hand and I can show everyone his head, then they'll give me his job instead of putting me in jail. (laughs) (laughs) So flawed, but uh, that's the only way I could ever think of it. It wasn't a real thing. Really. I didn't write. I didn't, uh, I was scared of performing. I didn't know why or what that would feel like. So, no career path to speak of. And then I took that class in Austin at the hideout mm-hmm. and that was a short form or, or Keith Johnston based like improv. And it was so much fun and everybody was so encouraging. And I felt those, I felt like I was in a class again. I felt like I was making a teacher laugh again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh shit. Right. This is that feeling. This is when my guts finally like, move around and I feel, you know, connected. And so from there it was just, now let me go to another place where they're doing this. Yeah. Let me see what is, what else is happening. But I didn't know how I would turn that into a career. And then I didn't. Yeah. I mean, how do you, you know, we're going to do shows because they fill us up they give us the strength to like walk around and not be an, a mad asshole yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, but eventually it came. I mean, <clears throat> you have, you always have the fantasies of like, I'm going to do this show and it's going to be outstanding. And then that one person sitting in the audience is just going to stand up at the end <laughs> and come over and like, you know, sign contracts all over me or yeah. whatever. And, uh, that might happen somewhere. I don't <laughs> <Maybe>. know. <laughs> I'm so yeah. sure it does somewhere. But that legend started from something. Yeah, exactly. Ancient Greece. Yeah, yeah. But Thespis, Thespis, fucking started that rumor. He did this amazing fucking show. <laughs> and this guy was, stood up and was like, "Sign this. You're what just is this?" Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Thank you." It's the first contract. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Yeah, I still get that sometimes if I'm like walking away from a really good show. Yeah. I'll kind of like look over my shoulder a little bit and like, see who's like, who's here? Yeah. Followed immediately by like a crippling sense of shame. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that shame shouldn't be on your shoulders entirely because we've been taught that like monetizing is the only way to actually justify doing anything. Sure, yeah. And that's horseshit. Like, just that that person sitting in an audience that could help you or change your life in ways that we all would love because of security and other shit could just suck. Mm-hmm. Could have, even if they've admired your work, they could still have absolutely no concept of what is real and true and honest mm-hmm. about anything, art, theater, anything. And so valuing that person based on an opportunity or whatever seems like a, a fucking infant, yeah, infant move. I, I I've been thinking a lot about like, like how a person defines wealth in their life. Right. Like, and there's like, there's like monetary wealth, obviously, and there's secure security. But then there's also like what makes for like a good life, what makes for like a fully like well-lived life. And, and it has something to do with like the ability to exercise your powers, whatever they happen to be. What you're describing is like your organs moving. It's like you got to put yourself in an environment where that environment that needs you and yeah. fosters that. Uh, um And like as much as anything, it like creatively like no matter what your style of comedy is, I think that that's like a unifying factor in everybody is, is there's that not to get like super pretentious with it, but there's that thing inside of you that just like wants to be exercised. Mm -hmm. And like the, the, the pleasure in the experience is in like feeling that power inside of you. You're feeling your strength. Yeah, man. You're feeling that ability. You're moving. Yeah. Like having someone moved to laughter. Yeah is the cure for fucking everything. Yeah. It cures cancer. It cures every disease. It can, it can, it eliminate, there are no toxins in your body, in my mind, when your body is laughing. Yeah. There is nothing but like joy, which is crazy. It, uh, uh, Billy Connolly, uh, said that when he was talking about stand up and storytelling, but I think it applies just as much to improv and sketch that when you're doing it and you start firing on all cylinders, your brain just works better and you get smarter Mm -hmm. and the audience gets in the flow with you and then their brains get smarter too by contact. And then you're in a room where everybody's brains are working better and like every, like the the tide is just kind of like lifting everybody up. Yeah. And and you feel that in those belly laugh moments where like you're bringing it out of people. There's that moment where like the clouds part in your head and, and shit just gets sharp. Totally. And, and it is like, I totally buy that of like, you're adding six minutes to the end of your life. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think when you're the, the kind of show that you're talking about when everyone reaches this level together mm-hmm. and it's that cooperative relationship between an audience and a performer yeah. where it's not idolatry or anything like Mm -hmm. when I go to a music show which I don't do a lot because crowds freak me out but also because like I don't know where to look Mm -hmm. I'm like 
Lo- Pardon me. Sorry, I'm shitting. <laughs> I just shit all over myself. All right, I'm going to paint a picture uh, for the audience there. His hair is still tied still, back. Still looks super professional. And he is seeping shit. <laughs> uh, the... Uh, I just I, I'm looking up at, at musicians and they're just kicking ass and they're doing stuff that like feels cool and I'm jamming out or doing whatever. Uh, and and I, not to say that they can't reach that same level, but uh, I just have never felt or seen anything like the shared experience between theater, mm-hmm. a theater performance, and and it's it's not the same for me like. You're, you're looking up at Snoop Dogg and he's jamming out and you're like, fuck yeah, this is Snoop Dogg. He's awesome. Versus like you're watching two, three, four people on stage doing something that's mesmerizing that you feel. Yeah. You don't just understand it. You're breathing it. Yeah. And then you're laughing about it or you're yeah. crying about it or you're just like stuck staring at it. But you're in it. That's you. And doing that in our little black box there's nothing like it like yeah. that's it it feels like on a bad night one lung breathes and on these complete amazing nights it feels like you have both lungs audience and and performer and it's just like you know running hot and and breathing that's interesting. I I've never been much of like a live music person, mm-hmm. and I think partly because uh, um, I never get that experience when I'm watching live musicians. Like you see concerts that are awesome, you see bands that you dig, and yeah. you know. But I, I get the same thing. I get like a very distracted. Here, okay, the mic is. You know, <laughs> I get like I. F- I start looking at the people in the audience more than the band uh, and like my attention just drifts yeah. to start like watching and like looking at people's faces because nobody's looking at me. Uh-huh. So I now have that permission. It's a good time to be. Yeah. But so, I, I never like, I, I, there are m- music people who I guess get that experience going to concerts. They get that high. I mean like, you know, people who like follow the grateful dead mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but even that, like what is the dead or what is like the, that, that fish, sort of mass collection of people that are coming. It's that moment before mm-hmm. when everyone's like hanging out in parking lots, getting fucked up and that's like the priming. And then they go in and they see the show and it's obviously like the music's celebrated and mm-hmm. outstanding and everyone can dance. So that's another shared experience, but it's always like audience. Mm-hmm. It's always there's always like a hard line for me anyway, between the performers on stage that are just like wailing away and the lights are always on them, you know, and the, the light show is all for the audience, but coming from these, these performers. And it seems like there's a division. Yeah. There's, there's a division between the people that are putting on or performing this art and the people that are there enjoying it in whatever way that, they want to yeah and however intoxicated that they want to and i feel like it goes away sometimes when you're doing something right on stage as a as an actor or performer well do you maybe this is like too vague but in in those like really rare shows uh, uh sometimes i get the feeling that even though it's us up on stage 
it it almost feels like we're kind of getting the show from the audience. Oh, for it, sure. They're like sending something out to you and you're just kind of like a power station that's yeah. like transforming it into dialogue and shit. But it definitely, <clears throat> in the really amazing shows, I don't feel like I'm doing something for an audience's appreciation. Right. I feel like I'm just like absorbing the audience and then shit is coming out of me that's making them laugh. Yeah. It's just this like feedback loop that's going in that's, a circle. That's the respiratory... Uh, analogy that I'm using is it feels like you're moving at the same, you're in the same body. Yeah. There is no fascination by the audience of what you're doing. And there is no hope by the performer of like, God, I hope this is going to be funny. God, I hope this is going to be that. It's just like the only thing that's happening are humans are in this little place and everyone is living and everyone, and these people on stage just happen to be, you know, like presenting a part of whatever is going on mm-hmm. and everyone else is accepting all of whatever's going on, but it's, it's totally reciprocal mm-hmm. because we are accepting all their laughs and that's fuel. We're accepting all their gasps and that's fucking fuel. We're accepting all the silence and that's fuel. And it's just like moving around in yeah. a circle, like you're saying in that, in that room and that shit, man, so good. There's a, uh, I may have mentioned this on elsewhere on the podcast. So my apologies for redundancy for anybody who gives a How shit. long ago? Uh, I don't, I don't remember. What episode? I don't, I don't. God damn it. It's probably the last episode. <laughs> I'll be honest. My memory is shot. Um, but there's a, uh, there's a, uh, a critic at Vanity Fair that I like a lot named James Wilcott, who, mm-hmm. uh, said in one of his reviews, um, laughing is the most alive you can be. And yeah. it's just like one of those quotes that like is in my wallet now because it feels that way, man. It, it does. It, when, it's, when it's that like really intense thing where everybody's breathing together and you have these big like monster laughs coming out, you really do feel like, like all of the shit in your brain and in your heart is being like swept away yep. and it's just like clean, clean yeah. power. And, and it's, you know, for half an hour, it's just like you're alive yeah. and you really feel it too. And it can be dangerously intoxicating yeah. for a performer yeah. and you can really take that and then try to harness it, which you cannot, you can be good at what you do and you can be getting better. Hopefully you are all the time, but learning little things and we all have them. We have the little things that just fall out of our pocket on stage that we use Mm -hmm. because we're panicking or whatever. And, um, but if you get addicted to making people laugh, Mm -hmm. you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cause then you can't, I don't know if you can actually make it, like fabricated. I don't think you can as funny as everybody in this room and everybody in every theater and everybody in every comedy club is like, that's a tough thing. An actual genuine laugh is really hard. I think we, we hear laughs all the time, right? You can, you can do a show and it can be an uproarious laughter or it can be whatever. And there's no way to tell like which little part of it, is what you're talking about that like that truly authentic genuine just like bust laughter Mm -hmm. not in 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 the sense that it's loud and uproarious but like that it's just like i can't control it Mm -hmm. 
I have, like, my sister and I have certain movies that we would watch a thousand times on, like, VHS. And a couple of them, they were just like, one of them is Encino Man. And in Encino Man... (laughs) (coughs) Sorry, I keep coughing. It's okay. No, don't apologize. It's okay. What are you smoking, American spirits? I just roll tobacco, and then I smoke it, and who God knows what's happening. Uh, In Encino Man, there's one little part, dude, where Pauly Shore and Brendan Fraser Mm -hmm. are in a... Uh, uh, roller coaster and they're going down like the thing and it's like it's supposed to be exciting and funny mm-hmm. Pauly Shore does face that it's you know it's not Pauly Shore being funny it's actually like Pauly Shore on a roller coaster and there's just one moment where he makes a face and it's the funniest thing to this day that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I watched it and my sister and I discovered that moment at the same time and we couldn't stop. It was just pouring out. Like we were just laughing our asses off and then we would rewind it and we would laugh again and we would rewind it and we would laugh again and it still happens. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the movie is the fucking Encino man. Like, I I don't know. I don't know if I laughed the rest of the movie. I probably did, but not like that. Yeah. And that is the little jewel. That's like the real laugh. Yeah. And I don't know how you find that or how you make it or how you can expect it or, you know, I think about that sometimes after like those shows that are like effortless and hilarious and and you just want to like get back up there immediately the top of the world shows yeah and um and like it's like very humbling thought comes in sometimes where it's like okay i was good tonight we were good tonight they were good tonight um but then you realize that like part of that was like Oh, we're just we're talented and we're skilled and we're experienced. But then part of it was the accident mm-hmm. of these particular people choosing to show up on this particular totally. night, and the moments accidentally happening. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah. And that is something that it, it, it's humbling because it's like there's nothing I can do about that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I can't capture that. No. I can't call these people up again and ask them to come back in and see next week's show. It. Nope. it it, so it, there is like that element of just kind of chance to it of like you keep yourself prepared, you keep yourself fit and, and, and in good shape. But, but you're hoping that it materializes. Yes. It, it's, an, it's an act of faith. Yeah. You know, it's a prepared act of faith. It's not just putting yourself in the hands of a higher power. Yeah. You're working at your craft. You're keeping yourself sharp. But ultimately, unless you're succumbing to what you're talking about, this kind of devil character that comes in when you begin to try to capture lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Uh, unless you're succumbing to that, ultimately it is an act of faith that you're just like hoping for a connection to take place. You're hoping for that grounding to take place between you and the audience so that, that, that cycle kicks in. Conduit. Yeah. 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 It's, it's fucking crazy. I, that's, I think that's why improv for me was like the way to go. And it didn't matter if it was short form. It didn't matter if it was long form. There was no, notion of like this is cool and this is bad or any Mm -hmm. of it because it was just what you're talking about it was just like all right chance Mm -hmm. is in the air 
So we're just going to breathe this shit in, all of us, and we're just going to roll with it. And I was talking to somebody last night, and they were like, yeah, you're, man, you're doing good. I just saw a video and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, I just posted that. Uh, thanks for watching it. I haven't seen it, mm-hmm. and I won't see it, and I can't really because <clears throat> it's not a discovery anymore for me. Mm-hmm. So it goes beyond not wanting to watch my stuff. Improv was like showing up, hoping, doing, loving or hating, dying or living, all of that shit, and then walking away, like being done and and knowing that like you did everything that you could or you got everything that you wanted or you gave everything that you had and then... It's fucking done, man. Like, you have to go somewhere else and fuck something else or eat something, you know, whatever. Um, But the lasting, like, media shit, the lasting, like, the the print of this is on video, this is something that you can watch Mm -hmm. yourself in over and over again is still, like, I mean, I can't, you know, I'm not wearing headphones because (laughs) I don't want to hear my shitty self well it, it goes back to that like devil thing again because like it, it, again i'm i'm gonna get like super pretentious yeah, i apologize for it i'm gonna take my shirt off Hold please on. oh wow oh, wow I, let me paint a picture here for you <laughs> how You're many still in a pony. <laughs> this guy has a lot of nipples an uncountable you try to count and you just get uh, like dyslexic. You can't do that. I get like number dyslexia. Is that weird? I don't uh, like you draw sixes backwards. No, like I can write figures, but if I'm asked to count, like here's a group of dots and there's like nine dots, count the dots. It takes me a few minutes to like sort it out. I just kind of like the dots just I lose track of it. It's a, and it's only in like groupings of things where I have to do counting, but I've really, for whatever reason, I have a hard time sorting it out. Visually, visually numerically challenged yeah but only in that like i can numbers are fine like i can see figures anyway my daughter writes her numbers backwards and it pisses me off how old is she she's six and a half oh she's entitled to write her numbers backwards excuses okay she's okay talk to me when she's seven and a half all right uh uh uh, in this modern world all right like you want to be successful you write your fucking numbers straight uh oh it it it's okay so there's like a rejuvenation thing to improv. Mm. Exactly that idea that like you do your show, you love it, you hate it, you live or die, you walk away, it's over. You come back tomorrow and it's the same thing all again. Completely the same. Mick Napier says that. Uh, um, always the same, always different. Mm-hmm. And it like covers it really nicely. There's a rejuvenation thing. You're constantly tapping or trying to tap into this flow this thing that is partly you and partly not you it's just this chemistry of all these different things interacting and on your really good nights you get taken away by it and you get lost in the flow and you have these kind of amazing experiences because they're not your really good nights right it it it, it's just this flow it's just the night yeah it's like the good yeah and you get to be a part of it yeah it's rad and i think the scary counterpart to that is the performance that comes out and tries to make that happen mm-hmm. because you can't. And if you try too hard, I'm going to see that yeah. and I will fucking hate you for it. Yeah. I will really, really, that's, that's when I'm at my most judgmental. Yeah. If you're trying to make me 
be there mm-hmm. and instead of just being there yourself, mm-hmm. I get fucking mad. I don't know why. I have an anger issue. Well, maybe so, but it's also like we have standards, man. I guess I we have standards. standards. It's important because it, it. I remember I read a quote from Michael Keaton when he was talking about how hard it was to do Batman Returns, huh. and he said the hardest thing was. Did you say Batman Returns or Birdman Returns? Batman Returns because they're making Birdman Returns. That's gonna. I don't think suck. they are. That's gonna be shit. <laughs> I'll see it. Who am I kidding? I'll definitely see it. I'll see any place in the L.A. theater scene. (laughs) It's pretty much a rehash of Birdman. There's a lot of similar shit. He was saying the hardest thing with that movie was um, doing an impression of himself from the first movie. Oh, wow. That once the performance was out there, now he had to, he had this like a measurement that he was constantly like struggling against, you know? Um, That's fucking interesting. Uh, yeah, it, and and I get it. it. It that's you know when people. I think this happens to everybody, especially when you're a student. But it, even when you're like a seasoned performer, certain people have different superstitions about this kind of thing. I certainly do. When people point out what you do really well, that can fuck with you sometimes mm-hmm. because now you you have this like image of what you're striving for in your head, and you're either striving to do that image or you're striving to resist and not be that image. And it's not this kind of pure thing anymore. It's not this giving yourself over to the night. It becomes a devil snuck in there again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're deliberately. You're touching the titty too hard. Yeah. Like you got to love a titty, right? (laughs) You're right. You got to lick a titty. You're right. You always have to suck a titty. But if you bite a titty and sometimes you bite a titty, (laughs) just don't fucking bite the titty off. Like, you know, you're, you're touching it. Too much. You're too hard on my titties. <laughs> Just take it easy. Really, you gotta see this guy has more nipples than <laughs> oh, I yeah, could possibly catch. Shit, I forgot I was sitting here fucking half naked. That's you're really in the moment, man. You don't know any things. So, so you do a shit ton of, of movie stuff and video stuff now, and you've sold out. You've gone Hollywood. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got tattoos of all like just trailers and shit, like, <laughs> like links to my shit are tattooed all over my body <laughs> and corporate logos too for any commercials I've ever done. It's you have to, like, right? Like yeah. you can't, if you're doing like parties and shit, if you're like yeah. schmoozing with people that's out how I in California, you got it. Yeah. All right. That's well, that's how fair you know enough. who you are. Yeah. Every- <laughs> he, he was like, oh, check it out. Fucking Bud Light, dude. Yeah. Uh, no, you're doing great. And mm-hmm. great. Uh, um, how is that for you from the acting side of it? it, it because when you're, when you're on stage and, and you do, you're absorbing everything that everybody's giving you. And that's kind of directing you a lot of times in the Always performance. Is, you're sure. surfing, really, on a great night. You're yeah. getting this wave of energy and you're kind of surfing it. And, and it, so it's this kind of like union is taking mm-hmm. place, right? This like a yoga of your capabilities and the mood of that night becomes this kind of one larger whole shared experience. When you're now having to do that professionally and be your funniest and be your sharpest in front of a camera, uh, um, what, do you make any mental adjustments for that? What's that experience like for you? Like uh, turning that into it's how you make your 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 dough. Yeah. Uh, um. Anyway, uh, I think the only jobs that I've ever gotten are because I go in and I improvise, mm-hmm. and um, that can be characterizes by saying like I go in and I do whatever I want or I go in and I don't care or I go in and I'm fearlessly this or that but that's what it comes down to is I just come I go in and 
I improvise. Mm-hmm. I improvise around their lines. I improvise through their lines. I'll improvise over their lines if I want to. And that's to say that I don't get a lot of jobs, <laughs> probably for the same reasons that I get a few. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to getting whatever the job may be and then finding myself in front of a camera and learning how to take direction, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, man. Like, I'm still learning on Every single thing, whether it's a little sketch for a website or whether it's a movie or whether it's a TV show or whether it's whatever, a commercial, any of it, I'm still constantly figuring this thing out. And the part that feels good for me right now is having opportunities, like so many chances, technically speaking, in the Mm -hmm. sense that um, we'll do it once. I'll hate what I just said or did. And then they'll be like, that's all right. We'll do it again. It's like, well, what? Yeah, that's right. We get to do that shit again. Okay. And then I'll feel a little bit better and then we'll do it and I'll hate it again, probably. Mm-hmm. Not hate it, but hate right. me. Yeah, I get it. And then it's like, that's all right. We'll just do it again. And so that process can be pretty inspiring because you can through trial and error or even just trial and adventure or, you know, just figuring this thing out. It's fucking interesting. I never did theater. I didn't study theater or anything else. Improv is my only background. So I don't know how to, I still don't know how to like learn lines really. Mm -hmm. And scripts terrify me. So I don't usually read them. I'll just be like, yeah. yeah. What day? Tuesday? <laughs> 6 a.m.? Yeah, I can do that. And and then I show up, like, usually underprepared. Is it true? You, you kind of, yeah. like, get the gist of a, of a mm-hmm. script? and then, huh. Yeah. And it doesn't always pay off, man. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I try hard in other ways. Like, I, I haven't figured out a, a, a formula for myself where I feel like a professional actor. Yeah? Yeah. I know that... <clears throat> and maybe to my, uh, what's a bad word? Let's see. What's a low, let's like, what's a shitty word to my discredit? No. Do people say that? Some people say it. Fuck those people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Stop saying that. Turn this off right now, <laughs> you piece of shit. Uh, but I, like, I'm still, I, I rely heavily on the things that I learned here. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And I, I hope that they work most of the time. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Lou. It's interesting, man. Cause like, I like what you said about uh, that's the, the reason why you don't get a lot of jobs is probably the same as the reason why you do get a lot of jobs. Yeah. And and it kind of goes back a little bit to like, I just don't believe in things moving in straight lines. I don't think anything in real life moves in a straight line. Mm-hmm. And, and and maybe I'm saying this to kind of apologize a little bit for my own like not having enough ambition with life. But I, like I just don't trust 
linear thinking because you do start to ascribe like, okay, I didn't get this. So that means I need to compensate and try harder and do X, Y, and Z. When in fact, the more, I think, correct way of looking at shit is like, I didn't get this for the same reason that I got this. It it goes kind of both ways. And and if you, well, I don't know. I think... I think the, the the biggest or most negative side effect of that linear style of thinking is that you set expectations mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. We all fucking have them anyway. And you can call them goals. You can call them whatever you want. But if you set yourself in that linear state of just like here to here to here to here, you're not letting life's patterns really guide you at all you're yeah. you're you're guiding yourself in a way that's just unnatural i think i think yeah i mean i might be wrong i haven't you know it took me a long fucking time to do anything like yeah. i said i'm lazy by nature for some reason uh and then weed makes me lazier by weed for yeah <laughs> for, natural. for very specific reasons <laughs> yeah um yeah, but that's like again. I'm getting pretentious with this, but like, it's one place where like improvising and doing theater is like a little tiny like microcosm of of your bigger life outside of doing it. Mm-hmm. Because in that same way as like you do these great shows where you're you're prepared, but you're really riding the momentum of what's coming at you. Right. That's uh, a parallel to like a well-lived life it it because like it, you have goals you That's have true. you have dreams and and you need all that stuff but like the art of living in at least in my where i'm at right now from my vantage point is in keeping those goals in your mind but living in a way moment by moment day to day where freedom is a part of it or, no expectation of right. results yeah. one way or the other just no expectation it's there you know what you want you know where you want to be yeah in the big scheme of it but the way that you deal with it is the way that you deal with the show it it, it comes at you and you deal with it and if you're you're poisoning your own well when every single fucking thing has to be measured up about against your game plan mm-hmm. Because who the fuck are you? Yeah, exactly. You're taking yourself too seriously at that yeah. point. Yeah, uh, my fear is that I'm is that laziness or whatever you want to call it is what keeps me in that mode. Yeah. Like I don't I don't give enough credit to what you're saying, which I, I completely subscribe to. Um, <clears throat> and when it comes to opportunities for work, my fear becomes like. Uh, am I not doing enough? Like mm-hmm. it takes me so long to learn these lines and then learning lines is just knowing words. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't understand how to put them up. I don't understand how to say them. I don't understand what I'm going to feel when I say, so I have to show up mm-hmm. on set kind of fucking scared because if I'm not, then I'm doing something wrong. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I would, I've never, I have never over-prepared for anything in my life. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a Would, bad well, thing. Well, it, it neither, right? I'm sure it's cost you work, and I'm sure yeah. it's gotten you work. Yeah. It, um, not to knock theater training, because I don't have any of it, and, and uh, I know a bunch of actors who I have a lot of respect for who are very well trained. 
Fuck them. Fuck them. You know who you are. <laughs> Turn this off Turn right this now. Up. One of the things that, that I love about improv, and again, this goes back to like my nature. I'm kind of abstract and I'm kind of very, I'm a by the book kind of guy. Mm. I need to read a ton of shit before I'm prepared to like come into the room with you. Except when it comes to improv. And I've read every fucking thing there is on improv. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it's that John Parsons thing again of like, in improv, you just blow a bunch of shit up in your backyard. Uh-huh. Uh, and along the way, you learn how to build rockets. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and and <laughs> this is obviously not true across the board of everybody, but but it also means that like, you tend to bring a beginner's mind to a lot of your work and, and you tend to bring a kind of like vitality or like life to it that goes hand in hand with not really being prepared, not really yeah. being an expert about it because it's that expertise that starts to kind of lull you very much. So, yeah. and, and I think that's the beginning of the end in a way it's like, it can be for sure. Or, I mean, then you see to take it back to Michael Keaton, like, he's got something Mm -hmm. and he knows what that is, but he's still trying to penetrate it from different sides because he knows that like this one side that he's been penetrating for a long time, got him great wealth and got him great opportunities and stuff like that. But now it's a fucking gash and it's going to be there forever. And if you don't start kind of going back into the backyard and blowing shit up again, you know, you're just going to have a bunch of fucking rockets. It's, it's... Did that work? Did, that, did. did I think I pull it did. that around? I think Fuck, it did. Yeah. Okay. I think it did. Put my shirt back on. <laughs> I, um, I just had like a really specific vivid image of this kid I used to know when I was little who just had a really dirty backyard. Do you remember, <laughs> like, did you have any friends who had like a really dirty backyard and oh, it yeah. made you creeped out by oh, them? Because yeah. it's like, what, what does it take to tidy this up just a little bit? Dude, in Baltimore, there were alleys. Uh-huh. And I remember uh, the alley where my aunt lived. One of my friends, their backyard smelled like rats. Mm-hmm. It was so fucked up and dirty and gross. It smelled like rats because there were so many. Yeah. And it was like a mildewy, like fur, yeah, fur smell, and that was. He was a nice guy, though. Here's here's an amazing thing. As soon as you said that, I immediately, I know the way rats smell. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I don't know where that comes from, but I know the way rats smell. Yeah, I I forget where I read this, but somebody was saying like, oh, all you have to do is mention the taste of a table leg or a chair leg. And I guarantee you'll be able to taste it. And Irene is like, fuck me. I can. <laughs> and he's like, well, it probably when you were a little kid, you were just like sucking on everything and, and yeah. your brain is like recording all this shit. You know, what it's polyurethane, like, like what it feels yeah, like yeah. on your tongue. Yeah. And, you know, all this shit. Yeah. I know what rats smell like. How about that? <laughs> That's your adult. That's it. Uh, what the hell was I talking about? Oh yeah. It, it totally. Michael Keaton's a great example. Yeah. It, to me, what I'm getting out of this is, is it's evolution. It's like you have this, this thing inside you that makes your organs move in this particular way. And you got to put yourself in an environment where that gets to thrive and be healthy. And then as you're healthy and as you're exercising your powers and shit, you kind of like naturally bring out what works for you and naturally kind of veer away from what doesn't work for you. But like the trap is staying put. 
Right. The trap is like just repeating that indefinitely. The trap is in trying to to take a living, breathing process, something that you have to, this rejuvenating thing that you got to be showing up for every yeah. night and turning it into a superstition. Mm-hmm. And that's where you start to die. That's where Fuck you yeah. start to freeze. And Michael Keaton's a great example of like, yeah, you can work and you can crystallize this thing until you really succeed. But now tomorrow you wake up and you got to find another way to storm the castle. You do. And that's, and look at him. Guy looks great, man. Guy looks good. He looks good. <laughs> and, he's, and he's still funny as hell. Yeah. Oh, dude, he's, he's great. <clears throat> I think in there, the, the, the challenge is like having, ha- finding the environment where there is a healthy challenge mm-hmm. too, because without a challenge, we're not getting stronger. Right. And so if the challenge has to come from yourself because you've achieved so much already to use Keaton again, I I can't wait till he writes you an email. (laughs) If you're listening, (laughs) we'll gladly have you on the show, Michael Keaton. You you know who you are. (laughs) You know who you are, Michael Keaton. Um, But I think that there's there's a need for a challenge, whatever that may be. And... To just real quick on your point of the the ultimate um, downfall being like trying to stand still on a like molecular molecular level. You got it. Yeah, molecular level. Yeah, you drooling all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) That's just biologically not possible for any of us. Like we're cells banging into each other constantly, and so to to the fear of of getting stuck or standing still is at the same time completely absurd because it's impossible and terrifying because it's possible. Yeah. And if you do it to yourself, then you're fucking dead and not in the living and dying sense, but like shit, man, why did we smoke weed? I don't regret it. (laughs) It's fucking amazing. Now I have a specific reason why I'm feeling so lazy. <laughs> We'd have been smoking. What, what are the challenges for you right now? You were saying like scripts are still something that like scare the hell out of you. Yeah. What's keeping you honest? Mm. Um, that, that's my healthy challenge right now. Yeah. Um, I, I still get, I, I do a lot of other stuff man like i build stuff yeah that helps me because that's just like time alone in my head what kind of stuff you build uh my yard i build like huge i do some welding cool. I, yeah i built these massive 20 foot cordon steel beds and stuff in my yard and i do a ton of gardening and that's another cyclical example of life that i like to dive into because you put this little thing in this little thing turns medium and then it goes from medium to big and then you're eating it that's a huge thing for me like feeding my daughter food that i grew gives me the most complete feeling i've ever felt aside from being on stage or in addition to being on stage well there's so many elements to that apart from just the food growing like completing the process by giving it to your daughter too there's something truly beautiful about that i was not expecting it i mean i was not expecting it to feel that fucking good like you know i snap a bean off a stalk and she eats it in the backyard and i'm just like watching her take it in and and 
get energy and life from this thing that yeah. I gave energy and life to, yeah. to give to her and like so on and so on. It's, it's just, just like, Jesus, you're in the cycle, man. Yeah. Um, so that man, that keeps me, you know, yeah. feeling pretty good. Um, still the moments that, that happen, whether it's on stage or whether it's on camera, the moments that feel right mm-hmm. are right and they'll always be right and, and I'll always, you know, politely chase it. Yeah. And anytime I can pinch its butt, man, I'll <laughs> pinch the shit out of that. You honey. don't want to pinch too hard. <laughs> you <laughs> got to pinch a butt, but you don't want to tear the butt off. You don't wanna, yeah, you don't want to bite the butt. You don't want to <laughs> stick a finger in the butt. Well, you know, maybe. Yeah, ask first is the point. Yes, just always ask. ask. Always ask. Always and, you ask. Know, uh, uh, and you know that that can be a difficult question to ask somebody, but you get to know them a little bit. You know, people are are weirder than you think they are. You know, that's what I mean? fucking for sure. It's true. Yeah. God, that's true. <laughs> I, you know who you are. You know who you are. Uh, uh, turn this off right now, Michael Keaton. <laughs> you weirdo, you sicko. Uh, that uh, those moments that you're talking about that feel right are awesome uh because at least for me you know that they're right Mm -hmm. you don't know exactly why they're right they just are right you just kind of know it there's something of you know when you look inside yourself too much you're too self-conscious about shit everything that's coming out of you is like manufactured. It's just like, it's not right. Yeah. It's not coming from the right place. It's too, it's too precise. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. In those moments where shit is right, I find I'm half there and half not there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with it. I certainly know what the fuck is going on. I know who I'm with. I know what I'm doing. But you're also writing something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I'm not thinking too much about anything. And that's true on stage and it's true in real life. I, I, it's interesting, man. This is like the dumbest thing I've ever said, but something that's been on my mind a lot recently has been like, all right, prayer, right? I don't pray. I grew up learning that stuff, but I've been thinking recently as I'm like making meals of like, there's something to saying a blessing over the meal that you're eating. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have to because you're growing your own food. I'm talking about us city boys who, you know, have, are going to, like, supermarkets and yeah. shit. But it, just, like, this momentary reflection on, like, I didn't make this. This grew in the world around me, and it's about to become me, mm-hmm. except for the part that shit out of me. Yeah. But the rest of it is literally... You. All the cells in my body next week are going to be from this salad, and not the cells that are there now. They're going to be dead. I'll be gone. I'm part of a cycle. I'm part of this thing that's continuously rejuvenating and continuously reforming. And from a human being, for whatever reason, so I have enough self-awareness to know it and to have a sense of myself, but I'm part of a much larger whole that behaves cyclically. Yeah. And, and it's when you get in touch with those cycles and you do it in a artificial environment on stage, you get in touch with other people's minds in an improv audience and you do it when you're planting shit in your yard. But it's like those moments that you're living right. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, for sure. It feels complete. And that's, and I think improv is honestly just the fucking tip, man. I think it's just 
the very, very, very tip of the seed. And I I don't, I'm not a spiritual dude. uh, So I don't know that much about any religions that, that may preach this or may not, but that completeness that you're talking about, for some reason, I think of it on a global level. Mm-hmm. I want it on a global level. I don't know how anyone will ever achieve it on a global level or if it's even possible. But fuck, that's exciting. Like to take the honesty and that, like, <clears throat> just powerful humanity that we can share like you said in a in a uh, environment like where it's it's been processed like you you put it in a little improv theater you put it in a stand-up club you put it in a on broadway you put it wherever and people are gonna you know breathe it and, and see this shit it's awesome but there's something in there that's like a thread that i think leads to like some fucking collective consciousness that i like i said i don't know what the fuck it is or if it's a thing but it feels like it is Mm -hmm. like i don't everything is put aside it doesn't matter what you believe in it doesn't matter who you voted for it doesn't matter if you what you've done in the past it doesn't you know all your indiscretions and shit all of that people come in no one is judged everyone enjoys and that's it you know it's a shared experience in a way that we don't get to fucking do Mm -hmm. very often and maybe it's because most people are living that linear style of like you know figuring it out yeah well it's interesting how many people are i mean just taking it back to like the thriving nature of improv comedy these days how many people are are just like being attracted to it? it's like moss to a light you just sense whatever your individual goals are it definitely has the feeling of like a swelling movement yeah. just because it's like, oh, it's like filling this this inner need in so many people. A black box in every fucking city. Yeah. A black box in every town. Yeah. A black box everywhere, all across this, all across the planet. And not a single bad thing could ever come from that. George Basil, you're a beautiful man. Thanks for talking, <laughs> brother. This is I amazing. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm just going to take one moment to boot up my computer really quick and oh, read yeah. the outro over this. What's the outro? Is it music? Uh, oh, there is. But I, I'm going to say a few closing words just remind people about where they can okay, I'll talk find over out it. information, please. Yeah. And seriously, Michael Keaton, if you're listening to this, that's fucking cool, man. That's really awesome. Yeah. How'd you? When did you learn about the internet, Michael? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sure you have kids and they told you about the internet. You know, he's written a bunch of books about like fly fishing. Fly fishing? He's like a serious outdoorsman. Jesus. Okay, here we go. The Magnet Theater podcast is produced by Evan Ford Barden and engineered by Grant Michael Goldberg with executive producer Ed Herbstman and is recorded at the Magnet Training Center in New York City. We can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast.
This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. That's right. You heard me right. Free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all the other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.